Our first scripture reading this morning will be Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. So that's going to be on page uh, 976 of the Blue Pew Bibles. And this passage is as much the sermon text as our second passage today. And I think that this passage is the one that a lot of people have memorized. It's certainly the one I have memorized when I think of the doctrine of sola gratia, or in English, grace alone. Now we're going through a short sermon series where we're looking at each of the five solas. That's five doctrines that define what we think of uh, as the Protestant Reformation. And one of the key emphases of the Reformation was a return to emphasizing salvation by grace, and by grace alone. And while theologian Martin Luther particularly rediscovered, at least for himself, uh, and expounded grace from Romans and Galatians, uh, I think there is no more clear text on grace alone than here in the book of Ephesians. So, let's give our attention to God's word from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1. The Apostle wrote, And you, speaking to all the churches that would read this letter, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now we turn to a story, a true story, a true historical story, in the book of 2 Kings chapter 5. Now, I'm going to start reading at the beginning, but I'm not going to read it all right now. Uh, I'm going to read or summarize as we work through the passage looking for grace and seeing how grace alone could save the pagan Naaman who had taken, who had sacked Jerusalem Uh, who had taken Israelites, God's people, into captivity and slavery. So, let's look at God's grace in 2 Kings 5, starting in verse 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man 
with his master and in high favor, because by him Yahweh, that's the name of the Lord, Yahweh, Israel's God, had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now, the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter of the king, uh, he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Thus far, all that I have read, all that I will read and summarize is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My friends, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Oh God, give us the gift of your grace today so that we may ourselves grow in grace, mirror your love, and rest in your grace alone today and every day for the rest of our lives and into eternity. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to offer you all free stuff today. You know, Oprah, you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. No. I want to offer you all free stuff today. I want to offer you free grace. The world is full of clubs for those who have achieved certain athletic prowess and renown, those who have achieved a certain amount of money and bought a house in the right neighborhood and paid the country club dues with no smear on their record. The world is full of jobs that only want to hire the most qualified. In fact, most of us know the rejection of wanting to be either hired, admired, or otherwise accepted, but learning we're not good enough. It stings hurts because we haven't earned whatever it is we're after. And what's more, even those of us who are maybe in the middle, right? There's, we have a society that says certain types of people are undesirable. We don't want those people moving into our neighborhood. They'll bring our property prices down. And some of us feel like we are those people who don't measure up. 
to whatever standard we desperately wish we measured up to? Because we don't. I'm not here to tell you you measure up today. I'm not here to tell you you're good enough, because you're not. And neither am I. You are not good enough, and neither am I. We're not good enough to meet those requirements, and it makes us sad and it hurts. But I have good news for you. I have good news for you who are worried that if people really knew you, you'd be turned away here. You won't. Because we are a church of grace. Because our God gives free grace. In fact, we believe that you can only come to God by grace alone. Now, Naaman didn't realize that about God. But he was about to get an object lesson in God's grace. And we're going to see that as we work through this passage, seeing Naaman's need, God's gift, and Gehazi's greed. That's the three points in your, on the back of your bulletin where you can take notes. Naaman's need, God's gift, and Gehazi's greed. First, Naaman's need. Now, a little context. Naaman was a Syrian general that had led a siege and conquering of Israel. And therefore, Naaman was an enemy of God's people. In fact, Naaman was an enemy of Yahweh because he worshipped false gods. And just based on what archaeology tells us about those false gods, he was probably guilty of all manner of violent and sexual sins that would make us gasp today. He was the sinner that Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 4 describes and says we once were, if we know ourselves rightly. And Naaman was and is an object of God's love and grace. You see, Naaman had a disease. Uh, here it gets translated as leprosy, but it's probably not Hinson's disease. That's what we call leprosy today, or that's what we call Hinson's disease today is leprosy. Uh, but whatever it was, he was able, he had this disease that made him unclean, was hurting him, probably had lots of consequences. But he was also a soldier, and he had won many battles for the Syrian king, including sacking Jerusalem and, and, and Israel. And so he had risen to prominence, and the Syrian king wanted to see his servant, maybe even his friend, healed. So he loaded up Naaman with a bunch of presents and sent him off to Israel. Because a little girl who had been taken captive and made a child slave, was now living in his house. And this little girl, this child slave, was working for Naaman's wife, and she saw what was happening to Naaman. She had compassion and mercy on him. She knew what her God could do, and so she told him to go seek healing from Yahweh her God. A little girl who was a slave, a true nobody in that society, we don't even get her name in this text led a pagan, a pagan enemy of God to salvation. Remember what we read in the reading of the law? That God chooses what is low and despised in the world. He did not choose those who were wise and powerful, at least not many. 
Remember who Jesus hung out with in the Gospels? Tax collectors, sinners, rich people, racists, radicals, zealots, prostitutes, Pharisees, and priests. He hung out with everyone, without exception. There is no one too unimportant. There is no one too small or too untalented. And there is no one so there is no one so good they don't need him, and there is no one so bad that you can't have him. If you are sitting in this room today, God's grace is for you. No exceptions. In fact, maybe the only exception there is is that you have to first believe you are the sinner of Ephesians 2, 1 through 4 as well, and as much as Naaman. What we see from the fact that God is going to answer Naaman's need, although not before some turmoil, is that when it comes to grace, all you need is need. The only thing you have to have to come to God and receive his grace is neediness, dependence, failure, and sin. Bring that to God and he'll gladly receive you. All you need to matter to God is to be nobody, to have a messed up life, and to come to him wanting him and needing him. And you'll be somebody to him, to the God of the universe. That is grace. It's a gift to those who in no way deserve it. The very first hymn I ever learned as a Christian the very first hymn I ever learned as a Christian was Come Ye Sinners. And no, it's not the one you know. I learned the indelible grace version. I know I'm an, odd God, I'm an ungodly pagan for it, but it goes this way. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you. Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous sinners Jesus came to call. Let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever you've done, Jesus is for all of you that come to him knowing you shouldn't have him, but are glad to receive him anyway. So now let's see what else we learn as we see Naaman actually receive God's gift without payment. Starting in 2 Kings 5 verse 4. Elisha sent a messenger to Naaman saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of Yahweh his God, and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And so Naaman turned and went away in a rage. Naaman gets sent to Elisha, and Elisha doesn't even come out to meet him in person. 
What an insult to his pride. And Elisha sends a messenger to say that the way to receive God's gift is not by going to the best waters, but by going to the mediocre waters of the Jordan. And a lot of people will resist God's grace because God's grace just doesn't seem good enough. It doesn't. It comes to people that are worse than they are. It shouldn't come to those people. Or it comes in ways that aren't good enough to them. It doesn't give them enough good. But my friends, God's grace doesn't come to the best or through the best. At least not as long as they demand the best and claim to be the best. I dare say many people in the world today would be offended. In fact, I know they are offended when church is ordinary. Church is mediocre. And the preachers are just okay. And it turns out that the real Christian life is just ordinary life in an ordinary town with a bunch of messed up people rather than a trip to see and be the best. So they go looking for their own form of religion. Paul wrote something about they look for teachers that say those things their itching ears wish to hear. Lucky for Naaman, some of his servants realized he was making this mistake. He thought too much of himself. And so they convinced him to humble himself and follow Elisha's instructions anyway. By God's grace, yes, when this act was God's grace, Naaman humbled himself to receive grace as God offered it. And then indeed did receive the healing he came for as he dipped himself in the Jordan and found himself made clean. And then Naaman goes back to Elisha and tries to pay for his salvation. But God gave him this as a free gift. Right? Naaman hadn't gotten his act together other than humbling himself. He still did all these terrible things. He still had Jewish slaves. And Elisha will not take this payment. He says, no, get that out of here. Go. Because we all have to receive God's good gifts by grace alone. And so Elisha said, as Yahweh lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And then Naaman said, well, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but Yahweh. But in this matter, may Yahweh pardon your servant. Uh, When my master goes into the house of Ramon, that's a false god, to worship there, and he leans on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon, may Yahweh pardon your servant in this matter. How do you like that? Once Naaman finds out he can't pay or repay for this healing, he starts begging for more grace. In fact, he knows he's about to go serve a king that's going to force him to participate in pagan worship. But he knows who the real God is now. And so Naaman comes and says, I'm going to have to do this. I need more mercy and pardon and leniency and grace. My friends, that's exactly the right response when you understand the grace of God 
go asking for more mercy and pardon and leniency and grace. And that is exactly what you get. And Elisha said to him, go in peace. Naaman couldn't pay for or repay God for the gift he had received. He wanted to. But Elisha couldn't let him because he was making a point. No one can pay God. No one can earn God's favor. No one can be good enough that God ought to do anything for them. If you've ever thought God ought, you either misunderstand yourself or you misunderstand God. We can never be truly good enough. And this is important. This is going to matter to some of y'all sitting here today. Not only can we not be good enough that God ought to do anything for us, we can never be truly good enough to repay God for all the good he does give us. This is why Paul calls it, calls grace the free gift of God in Ephesians 2. And that word for grace, the Greek charis, is a word that itself could be translated gift itself. God gives the gift of a free gift is one way you could translate uh, Ephesians 2.8. But you could also translate it unmerited, unearned favor. And so Paul drives the point home to the, in his letter to the Romans in Romans 4, saying, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Friends, God loves to pour out his grace on us and on those we often think are the most undeserving. Christian, if you're caught in the lie that now that you're saved, you need to pay back God by being good. You need to make up for what you've done, and you need to get it all together to gratify God now that your sins are forgiven. You didn't hear my, my assurance of pardon. I said, his love is already gratified in Jesus Christ. And fact is, if you're always trying to make it up, be good enough, repay God, and get it all together, you're going to be neurotic for the rest of your life. Because you can't do it. And some of you all will stop being neurotic as soon as you lean on God's grace and stop trying to do it yourselves. Preacher, you make it sound like there's nothing we can do to make ourselves unlovable to God. That's right. But, Wes, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the lifestyle I've lived. Stop! You can't be bad enough to lose a true gift. Someone else is going to say, it sounds like you're saying even those people can be saved. Do you know how despicable they are? Do you know what debauchery they've been involved with? Stop! They can't be bad enough to lose a true gift. Young fella, if you keep talking like this, people are going to think they can be saved and live however they want. If they don't fear God, they're not going to have any motivation to be holy. Stop. People can.
cannot be bad enough to lose a true gift. And if it sounds like I'm angry at that legalist person, I am a little bit. God forgive me. There is no amount of sinning a person can have done or that a Christian can do to sin themselves out of the kingdom of God if they are in it. What's more, fear like that person is talking about doesn't lead to real holiness anyway. So there. The radical grace of the God of the Bible can make people intensely uncomfortable because when you understand the grace of God, you have to show it to others. And it means that you are enabled to take uncomfortable risks because you no longer have fear as the primary motivator in your life, especially not to live a holy life, but instead you have love, and love leads us in all sorts of crazy places that fear never would. But the Apostle John says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Let's keep on moving and look at Gehazi's greed, which was not motivated by love, by the way. Verse 19, 2 Kings 5, verse 19. When Naaman had gone a short distance, uh, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian in not accepting from his hand what he brought. So Gehazi goes after Naaman and catches up with him, and he says, My master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. So Gehazi lies. And then he says that they need to be able to give gifts to these two prophets, and Naaman does give with joy. Obviously, he has experienced God's transforming grace. And Gehazi takes these goods home and probably feeling pretty pleased that he got a pound of flesh from the pagan and he made a buck. So Gehazi goes into Elisha and Elisha says to him uh, in verse 25, where have you been, Gehazi? And Gehazi says, oh, your servant went nowhere. But Elisha says, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept payment for services rendered? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. Verse 27. And so Gehazi went out from Elisha's presence, a leper like snow. Now certainly it is clear Gehazi was acting out of greed based on what he did with the treasures he got. But there's more to it as well. He was the faithful servant of Elisha. He'd apparently been a pretty good religious guy for a hot minute, right? So he thought it was unfair that Naaman, the rotten, no-good pagan, got healed and sent back to go help his king worship a false god while Gehazi, a faithful servant, got nothing. When Gehazi went to Naaman, he not only lied in order to steal, he lied about God. 
insinuating that God requires payment for the good that he does for us. But my friends, God never demands repayment. Friends, gifts aren't earned. And God gives us his grace as a free gift without us earning it. And I'm going to tell you again, we will never in this life be worthy of it. And therefore, we can never sin so much we lose it. And so I want to encourage some of you, stop trying to make people be worthy. And stop trying to be worthy yourself. Because in God's kingdom, sinners are welcome. If we try and make people get their act together before they're welcome with us, we are like Gehazi demanding a price in order for them to belong. But Martin Luther was very clear, we are simul justus et peccator. That's Latin, you need to use that at a party. means we are both saint and sinner. You're sinner saints, Christian. You're pirate monks. (laughs) Pirate monks, you like that? My friends, if you've ever been mad that someone got something they didn't earn or pay off, you might not understand grace. If you've ever said, that isn't fair, well, fair is hell. Fair would be you and I paying for our sins rather than Jesus dying on the cross after living a perfectly righteous life. God is not fair. God is gracious. And merciful. But grace can make us mad when, like Gehazi, we think we don't need it. I gotta tell you a parable. There was a story about a foreman who went and hired a bunch of guys to work first thing in the morning, like at 6 a.m. At about 9 a.m., he realized he needed more workers, and so he went out to the temp agency and he hired another batch of guys. And again at noon, and again at 3 p.m., and again at 5 p.m. This is a 12-hour shift. Some of y'all know about 12-hour shifts, right? Well, at 6 p.m., the whistle blew, and the guys were going to get paid in cash, because let's be honest, that happens. (laughs) So, uh, I didn't say it's right or good, I just said it happens, okay? Uh, So, the foreman asked them all to get in line from the last people hired to the first people hired. And when he gets to those people that were hired at 5 p.m. just an hour ago, he pays them a full day's wage. And then the guy is hired at 3 p.m., he pays a full day's wage, and at noon, and then he gets to the guys hired at 6 a.m., and he pays them a full day's wage. The same as he paid the guys that only worked an hour. Then they started grumbling. Hey, we worked in the heat all day. They only worked an hour. What's the deal? This is worse than socialism. The foreman answered, I ain't doing you no wrong. You agreed to work a full day's wage, right? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? And that's what God says to everyone that ever looks at anyone else and goes, how come they get all the grace of God too? God says, I've given you grace, and grace is mine. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what 
belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? And then Jesus said, so the last will be first, and the first last. So, at this point, there's two, two or three types of people sitting here. One person is convicted of their self-righteousness because God's at work in you. You're a Christian. We all fall into it. Me too. Trust me. Hang out with me for a week and you'll find out how self-righteous I am. If you're not already thinking that after the sermon. Another person is hearing what I'm saying and they want to live a better life out of thankfulness for what you're hearing. And you're ready to change. And I want to say that if you find that you're in either of those places, you're in a good spot. And I guess the third type of person is going, yeah, that's the gospel. (sighs) I'm thankful for you, especially today. Because you won't yell at me later. But if you find that you are someone that hasn't been transformed by grace in the ways I'm talking about, whether through self-righteous sin or salacious sin, if you find you're someone who is full of self-righteousness and even hatred, or someone who struggles with sin and thought you'd be better than this by now, I want both of you, I want both of you not to try any harder. Do not try harder. Instead, I want you to hear what I'm saying about grace and about Jesus and about what a failure you and I are together. I'm there with you. And I want you to get desperate for the grace of Jesus like Naaman. I want you to get desperate so that you humble yourself and do what God asks, even though it's humiliating. I want you to go and say, but I've got so much other stuff that I know I can't change right now, even though I'm going to try. Give me more pardon and leniency and mercy, and God's going to say, my grace is for you, my Son, my daughter, my child. There really is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to go to God in prayer, confessing your sins and asking the Holy Spirit to change you. I want you to look at Jesus and let it comfort you. Let God love you and fall more in love with the one who has loved you. And when that starts happening... Then, then go try. And I think you'll see that God was at work in everything from your conviction to your trying again. In fact, friends, if we believed sanctification was grace as much as justification, we'd spend more time praying and less time acting self-righteous while secretly feeling guilty for all our failures and trying to make up for our sins by hating sinners. If we know God's grace, we will be like that little girl, the slave girl in Naaman's house, confident that her indulgent father's grace is for herself and for the one who sinned against her, Naaman, the terrible sinner, because she knows God's grace is for anyone that will turn to him. It's all undeserved grace. When that's what we've got, it's what we'll give to others. It feels like the plane landed, so I'm not going to tell the end of my sermon. My friends, let's pray. Father, oh gracious God, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for saving sinners. And thank you that everything we have from our material blessings to life itself is all of grace. 
And let us see your grace more and more. Holy Spirit, help us believe and trust in God's grace through Jesus Christ more and more. It's in his name we ask for this. Amen.